Father, we thank you. You are a great and gracious God. And Lord, I'm so privileged to be able to speak your word that I believe you have given to us for this hour. Our hearts are heavy for those that are in despair. Our hearts are heavy for those that are losing hope and very heavy for families where people have lost hope and have taken their own life. Give us understanding on how we can prevent that in the life of others. Let this word go forth from far and near. Let it find a place in people's hearts. Let the seed be planted. I said to my wife the other day that the rain is coming for a reason, to break up the fallow ground so it can receive the seed that it needs to receive to have a harvest. And I pray, Lord, that you'll break up the fallow ground in our heart this morning. Let it rain on us spiritually so that we can receive the seed, Lord, into our soil, our good soil, so that tree could grow and the fruit will appear at harvest time. I pray, God, your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to preach to you this morning on the subject, the cry of the human heart. <coughs> Psalm 119 and verse 28. My soul melted for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. What is our soul? It's our inner being. It's our inner man. It's our mind. It's our desires. It's our emotions. It's our passions. It's the life of a human being. And when the psalmist said, my soul melteth, the word melteth means to drop, to drip, to leak. It means to weep a constant flow of tears. As I was studying this and I looked up some commentary, the Barnes commentary said it the best to me, and I quote, my soul melteth means to drop, to drip, to distill, spoken of a house as when, as when the rain drops through the roof. Ecclesiastes 10.18 says that. And Job 16.20 reinforces those same words. It means to shed tears and to weep. And this seems to be meaning here the same thing. But listen, the idea of melting is not properly in this word. And the term weep would be better expressed the meaning. Here's what he says. His soul seemed to drop tears. It overflowed with tears. Yet there is an idea of abundant or constant weeping. It's not a gush of emotions. As when we say of one that he is bathed in tears. It's the idea of a steady flow or dropping of tears. Slow, silent, but constant. As if the soul were dripping away or dissolving. Thus continuous grief that slowly wears away the soul. It comes from the idea of a beautiful soul melting away. Let me explain a little bit of how I see Barnes' quote. 
You've all seen houses that have decayed so badly that the roof caved in. The house is condemned. You see what damage the water did. When a person's soul is melting, it's a continual drop of despair. It's not something happened to you, you lost the ball game, and you cried some tears for 10 or 15 minutes, and then it was over. The tears that are dropping here are continual. The despair is continual. The depression, the discouragement is continual. And he says, my soul melteth for heaviness. Barnes says this. There's two kinds of sorrow. He says, one is represented by the flood of tears, like fierce torments that sweep all away and are soon past. I lost the ball game and I cried. But it passes. But the other is the gentle dropping, the constant wearing, the slow attrition caused by inward grief that secretly but certainly wears away the soul. Think about it. There's people walking around in our families, in our homes, and in our churches where this constant dripping of tears, this constant dripping of despair, Come on. though you might not see it outwardly, because it's been taken inwardly. And it takes sometimes only a little feather to come to that person's life where they begin to proclaim, what's the use? Why don't I just end my life? For no one careth for my soul. Follow me. My soul melteth for heaviness. What does it mean, heaviness? It means to grieve, to afflict, to suffer, to cause grief, sorrow. This word, according to Barnes, means grief and sorrow and vexation. It is here silent grief, hidden sorrow. How many thus pine in secret until life slowly wears away and they sink to the grave? What's he saying? We hold it in. We don't express, we don't talk, we don't communicate. Come on. We stay stuck. And we allow the enemy to continually assault us with despair and grief and sorrow. Until one day, a person decides it's over. I can't take this no more. And people are then amazed that someone has done this act of taking their life. They look amazed and say, I can't believe this. Why did this happen? The psalmist says, strengthen thou me according unto thy word. He's saying, help me to rise up above it. Help me to stand up. Help me to be stirred up. Help me to become powerful once again. Help me to come on the scene. So many are not on the scene anymore. They're in the background. Going through the motions. Until one day they decide, that's it. I have no validation. I'm just enduring. This is just a persistence, a labor, an endurance. I'm not being confirmed or fulfilled. No one is speaking into my spirit. And so what happens? 
Barnes says this concerning heaviness. Give me strength to meet this constant wearing away. The psalmist is crying. This slow work of sorrow. We need strength to bear great and sudden sorrow. We need it not less to bear that which constantly wears upon us, which makes our sleep uneasy, which preys upon our nerves and slowly eats away our life. End of quote. That's what addiction is about. It's a slow death. It's a slow process. It's suicidal. In a slow way. Because it continually assaults the soul of the person. Until the soul can't take it anymore. Until the soul doesn't know what it's doing. And the soul injects more than it's supposed to. Or imbibes more than it's supposed to take. And an overdose happens. And a coma occurs. Occurs and a death is the consequence. That person says, That'll never happen to me. It happened to my friends. It happened to my brother. It happened to my cousin. But it will not happen to me. What a lie. He says in the Psalms, Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. Your hope is in this book. Amen. It's not in a drink. It's not in a drug. It's not in something that masks your despair and your pain. You got to look at it. You got to face it in the mirror. And you got to tell it to go where it belongs, back to hell, because it's not part of your package. Don't sign for it. But people sign for it every day. They sign for it. Even though they come to church, they sign for it. And they stay in that despair because they're ashamed that people will think less of them. No, I would think more of you if you came to seek the help of God and the help of fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. The psalmist says this in that same verse, verse 29, remove from me the way of lying and grant me thy law graciously. What is it saying? He's saying I'm in despair. I'm in constant weeping. I'm in trouble. I'm a boxer in the ring and I'm in the corner and I'm getting assaulted and I'm getting pounded and my legs are like rubber and my arms are falling down and my jaw is open to the assault of someone's right hand. Remove from me the way of lying. Turn it aside from me, God. Let it depart. Come on. Let it avoid me. Let it come to an end. Lord, depose it. Get it out of my life. Reject this despair. Abolish it. Reject it. Remove it. Remove what? The way of lying. Come on. The path that I'm on. The journey that I'm on. The lies that I'm believing. The denial that I'm in. The truth that I don't want to face. What lies? What does it mean? Lying. What lies are we believing in our despair that are not true? People think no one loves me. People think I'm a no count. People think, what's my life about? Why was I born? 
My family's rejected me. My wife or husband's rejected me. Nobody wants me. And that's a lie. Because there's one person, though the whole world might turn against you, there's one person that loves you. And that's Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you. And that's enough love a person needs. Lies. The lying is the deception. What deceives or disappoints or betrays a human soul. It's falsehood. It's fraud. It's the wrong that the enemy brings upon you to get you to believe that your life is a no count. Come on. And he's good at what he does. He's seductive. He's deceptive. He says what? He says, remove from me the way of lying and grant me the law graciously. You know what the psalmist is saying? Though I may not want it right now, here's what he's saying. Throw the word of God at me. Lord, give me the opportunity. Praise God. Give me the opportunity, Lord God. Throw this at me. Throw the book at me. Let me hear what the preacher has to say. Don't let me close my ears. Even though I may not want to hear right now. Even though I might have that spirit, an oppressive spirit of denial and lying to me and deception and seduction. Lord, throw the word at me. Throw thy law at my feet. Because the word of God is a lamp unto my feet. That word law means not only throw at me your direction and instruction. It means cast it forth like an arrow being dispensed from a bow. Shoot it at me. Hmm. It means to pour out your rain upon me, God. I'm in such despair. My roof is caving in. It keeps dropping continually on my roof. And now I see the consequences of that drought, of that rain that's coming upon my roof. And Lord, it's caving in on me. Don't wait for the roof to cave in, my friend. Come on. Don't come to that place in life where you think you have to depend on something outside of God Come on. to just get through the day, to get through the moment. It's a lie that you're accepting. You've got to pray like the psalmist says, remove from me the way of lying. Remove denial. Remove the deceptions that I'm accepting. The Bible says in Psalm 119 and verse 28 and 29 in the message version, it says this. My said life's dilapidated, a a falling down barn. Build me up again by your word. Barricade the road that goes nowhere and grace me with your clear revelation. Let me read that again. The message version, the same verse that I just preached on for a few moments says this. My sad life's dilapidated. A falling down barn, build me up again by your word and barricade the road that goes nowhere and grace me with your clear revelation. Do we want that? Do we want that? Or do we want to stay in a cloud and feel sorry for ourselves? And pity ourselves and say, you don't understand. Listen, I may not understand, but there's one that does understand. And this is the person that the psalmist is crying out to. The Bible says in Psalm 119 and verse 25, My soul cleaveth unto the dust. 
Quicken thou me according to thy word. In the message version it says this. I'm feeling terrible. I couldn't feel worse. Get me on my feet again. You promised, remember? This is what we have to cry out to God. We all have bad days. We all have moments of despair. But when it's a continual dropping and a continual melting and a continual despair and a continual sorrow, there's something radically wrong with the soul. It's heading for a train wreck. It's heading for death. It's heading for self-destruction. Because that person has lost hope. A person that decides to take their life is really saying this. I have no hope. If you ever come upon a person that is even thinking about doing that, the first thing that you must do is give that person hope. You have to give that person hope and their reason for living. You have to speak it into their spirit, a positive message that you count. I'm your friend. I'm here. I will be there no matter what it takes. I'll carry you on my back. And when you give a person that kind of hope, you'll give them a lifeline. You give them a rope to hold on to. It's so important. Jesus suffered a broken heart. He suffered despair. In the Psalm 69 and verse 20, it says, Reproach has broken my heart, and I'm full of heaviness. There's that word. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. In the message version, it says this. It says, I'm broken by their taunts, flat on my face, rejected to a nothing. I looked in vain for one friendly face, not one. I couldn't find one shoulder to cry on. We must make ourselves available. Yes, sir. Not fair talk. Not words. But actions. What did you say this morning? Actions speak louder heard sister said actions speak louder than words the disciples lost an opportunity to comfort Jesus and we have lost opportunities sometimes because we are too busy to recognize the signs of despair in other people's lives come on in the book of Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36 it says this then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane And saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. He's in despair. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. He's crying out as a Savior. It says, Tarry ye here and watch with me. Stay with me, please. Pray with me. Comfort me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and said unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. 
Then cometh the hour, then cometh he to his disciples and said unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. What was he saying? Go to sleep. I can't count on you. You didn't cover my back in the garden. People say, I got you. What do you got, man? Put up or shut up. Put up or shut up. We're fighting for souls. We're fighting for boys and girls. We're fighting for people in such bad addiction that 200 people today, when you go to bed, will have died from drug overdose. What are we talking about here? We're talking about a continual dropping, a melting of the heart, a melting of the soul. Rebecca, as a mother, had a heavy heart. The Bible says in, in the uh, message version, it says in Genesis 37, 46, Rebecca spoke to Isaac. I'm sick to death of these Hittite women. If Jacob also marries a native Hittite woman, why live? She was a mother that was concerned about who her son was going to marry. Come on. Are we concerned about who our sons and daughters are going to marry? Will that end up in despair is the question. We cover it. We glance over it. Not realizing that perhaps down the road, great despair will come to a soul when it's not based on the book and the word of the living God. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, the proverb of Solomon, a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness, heaviness, despair of his mother. Many young men have broken the hearts of their moms. Many daughters have broken the hearts of their fathers. And it continues. It must end in our families. We must drive a stake in the ground and look at what's happening. And look at the despair and the anguish that people are experiencing and say, hate me, reject me, but man, you're on the wrong road. Your train is going nowhere but a train wreck. Come on. Moses had a heavy heart for the people. Moses returned unto the Lord in Exodus 33 and 31 and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. What was Moses saying in the message version? It says this, Moses went back to God and said, This is terrible. This people has sinned. It's enormous sin. They made gods of gold for themselves. And now, if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, erase me out of the book you've written. My God, Moses was willing to give up his eternal life. He was in such despair for the sins of the people. We all experience heaviness and sorrow at times. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. And there's going to be seasons of despair. Come on, but we have to watch out that they don't become prolonged seasons of despair and anguish. That becomes dangerous. We have to be careful. It says, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Heaviness. That's that sorrow. That's that continual dropping and melting of the soul. 
That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that persisteth, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. We must speak to each other when we go through a manifold temptation or a heaviness, and we must say, you count. Amen. You count. You're more precious than gold. We cannot ignore the signs in our children. We can't sit here this morning and hope for the best. We can't say, okay, sada, sada, what will be, will be. We must resist the devil and he will flee. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh unto you. If you let the devil push you around and cave in your roof, and you don't fight back, you will eventually die. Maybe not physically, but you will die spiritually. Come on. Paul said to the church in Philippians 2 and verse 25, Yet I supposed it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but the messenger, and he that ministered in, to my wants, for he longed after you and was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he had been sick. Full of heaviness. The man of God worked so hard that he became sick, heavy, of soul. But what did God do? But it says in the message version, he was been wanting in the worst way to get back with you especially since recovering from the illness that you heard about. He's been wanting to get back and reassure you that he's just fine. I'm okay. I've overcome. Christ has healed me. He nearly died, as you know, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, he had mercy on me too because his death would have been one huge grief piled on top of all the others. So you can see why I'm so delighted to send him to you. And when you see him again, hale and hearty, how you'll rejoice and how relieved you'll be. Give him a grand welcome, a joyful embrace. People like him deserve the best you can give. What does he say? Encourage one another. Love one another. Praise God. Be friendly to one another. Be kind to one another. Say to one another, it's so good to see you today. Give people affirmation and confirmation. Yes. Paul had grief for the Jews as Moses did in the Old Testament. Paul said in the message version, Romans chapter 9, verse 1, at the same time, he says, you need to know that I carry with me at all times a huge sorrow. Ministers carry that sorrow if you have a burden for God and his people. You lay awake and you think, you worry God gives a man of God discernment. The Bible teaches that God will share secrets with the man of God, even upon his bed in night visions, dreams. And it's scary sometimes when God takes you down that road and you see danger and you try to warn through preaching. Paul said in Romans 9 too, it's an enormous pain deep within me. I've experienced that. And I'm never free of it. 
I'm not exaggerating. Christ and the Holy Spirit are my witnesses. It's the Israelites. If there were any way I could be cursed, listen to this, man of God, by the Messiah, so that they could be blessed by him, I'd do it in a minute. They're my family. I grew up with them. They had everything going for them. Family, glory, covenants, revelation, worship, and promises. To say nothing of being the race that produced the Messiah, the Christ, who is God over everything always. Oh, yes! Don't suppose for a moment, though, that God's word has malfunctioned in some way or other. The problem goes back a long way. From the outset, not all Israelites of the flesh were Israelites of the spirit. You know what Paul was saying? Not everybody wants Christ even in the church. And that's the heaviness of a pastor. Because you know that you know that you know that people will walk away from this house this morning not really wanting to hear they're here, but rather be somewhere else. And we'll leave the same or even worse because now they've been convicted. And they feel that shame and they feel that guilt. But we'll not allow God to use that shame and that guilt to turn them around to the cross. That's what you live with as a pastor. That's the pain and the despair. That's hard for people to understand. For hard for people to comprehend. The question this morning is, is there a way out of grief and despair? Is there a way out? I'd be doing you a disservice this morning if I didn't tell you the flip side of the message. Despair is ugly. Despair is destructive. Anguish is ugly. It's destructive when it continually goes on and on and on eternally. Until the person loses such hope that they decide to take their life. The book of James says, chapter 4, verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. The message version says, Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Pride is the block and the roadblock to humility. I don't care what he says. I won't have to see him for another week. Maybe. I might get sick next Sunday. Maybe I can arrange that to not be here to hear the old man. Yeah, people do that. People get under such conviction. I need a week off from him. No, you're saying you need a week off from God. Listen, I thank God that he gives me the courage and the boldness to speak the word because I care about your soul. I care about my soul. And the way to get rid of despair is to humble yourself. And pride will keep you from the altar. Pride will keep you stuck. Pride will keep you hiding. Come on, Pride will cover your secret. That's eating you up alive. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. The message version says this, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but an encouraging word makes it glad. 
Have you realized there's very little encouragement and praise? There's very little bit, hey, that was a good job. Come on, preach. That was good. I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> I tell my wife, I said, there's such little praise even in the church world. There's such little encouragement in the church world that we don't even recognize to encourage people for whatever reason. Have no idea. Have really explored it. And I've wondered, why don't people say, hey, I really appreciated your sermon. And I'm not politicking for a praise. Trust me. I'm not politicking for your accolades. But I find it very mysterious and astounding that God can come on the scene and God just envelop us. And it's just like everyday living. See you next week. No praise, no encouragement, no provoking unto love and to good works. It's sad. Because people are looking for an encouraging word. People are looking for affirmation and confirmation. Proverbs 15, 15 says, All the days of the afflicted are evil. But he that is of a merry heart I could have a continual feast. Again, the message version says this, A miserable heart makes a miserable life. And a cheerful heart fills the day with song. You know when you're miserable in your house, you make everybody miserable. It's kind of like you got a bunch of kids in the house and Ma looks out the window and sees the man getting out of the vehicle and says to the kids, everybody in the back room, lock the door and play with something. Dad's in a bad mood. In other words, dad's miserable and I'll take the brunt of that misery to spare you, kids, I'll take it. But it's not a good place to be in right now. People are miserable. They can't stand their own skin. And not only can they not stand their own skin, they can't stand to, to not give it to other people. It's contagious. I want you to have what I have. Misery loves company. Misery loves bad news. You know what travels in the workplace? It's always bad news. Did you hear? When's the last time you heard good news travel? When did you hear a good rumor instead of a juicy rumor? Hmm. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A merry heart doth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. Amen. Come on. Let's go do something. I don't feel like it. Come on, let's go watch a movie that's funny. I don't feel like it. Come on, let's say I don't feel like it. Oh, we're just going to sit here like a bump on a log. We're going to sit here and I'm going to look at your despair and sorrow and my roof is going to cave in here in about a half an hour. And then when that person decides to leave that despair, oh, now you're leaving me. Now you don't love me. Now you're rejecting me. No, because your misery is like a cancer and it's killing me. I know a guy whose wife told him, you have to leave. I know this guy. I don't know his wife. 
But I was told a story. And there was other things I'm sure that was involved. But she said, you have to leave. Why? Because you're always depressed. And I can't take it no more. Go. And you know what he did? He laughed. Because he knew she was telling the truth. It's contagious. It gets on everybody's nerves. But God says in the message version, 1722, a cheerful disposition is good for your health. Gloom and doom leave you bone tired. And miserable. Attitude. Can't deal with that kind of a personality. Because it's a continual dropping on a tin roof. And it's hard to bear. The ministry of Jesus gives us hope. The spirit of the Lord is upon me in Isaiah 61 and 1. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all that mourn. In the message version it says this, The Spirit of God, the Master, is on me because God anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, announce freedom to all captives, pardon all sinners. God sent me to announce the year of His grace, a celebration of God's destruction of our enemies, and to comfort all who mourn, to care for the needs of all who mourn in Zion, and give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, messages of joy instead of news of doom, a praising heart Instead of a languished spirit, rename them oaks of righteousness planted by God to display his glory. What's God saying? I'll bring you out to bring you in. I will take away your heaviness. I will take your sorrow. I have experienced despair and grief and sorrow. I'm a man stricken with grief. I'm a man stricken with sorrow. But I rose up on the third day to give you life. God is saying, I'm throwing myself at you this morning. throwing myself at you. What's God saying? He's saying to me, mourn for the spiritual corruption. Mourn for the immoral perversion. Mourn for the abused. Mourn for marriages that are failing. Mourn for the bitterness and the hatred in society. Mourn for the addicted. Mourn for the abandoned. Mourn for the homeless. Mourn for the suicidal. Mourn for the young people. Mourn for the disillusioned. Mourn for the tired and weary. Mourn for those with a broken heart. (coughs) We can't lose our burden. Come on, preach. And at times God allows this spirit and heaviness to come to us for the souls of other people. Mm -hmm. We could push it off. We can say we're busy. I have no time. Look how busy I am. But one day your despair might come upon you. And what you sow you reap. What you plant is what you get. And when your anguish comes upon you, people might say, I'm too busy. Because that's what you sowed into the ground. And that's what you will reap as a consequence. People will not be there for you because you weren't there for them. Prayer is a way out of despair. Pray that God will pour out his oil of gladness upon his people. Psalm 45 and verse 7 says, Thou lovest righteousness and hateth wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. (coughs) 
We've been privileged to receive the oil of gladness. Psalm 92.10 says, But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. People bathe themselves in stale oil of despair, of absurdity and denial. They stay there. They let the devil punch them in the face continually. Then he tells them, I'll give you some relief from this assault. Go out there. I'll give you a little something. I'll give you a little pleasure to forget that I beat you up today. But I'll be back tomorrow. And I'll beat the snot out of you tomorrow. And then I'll let you have a little pleasure. I'm going to play with you like a cat plays with a mouse. But in the end, the devil says, I come to steal, kill, and destroy. And one day I'm going to come. And I'm not going to send you out to that pleasure to come back to get beat up tomorrow. But I'm going to send you out to that pleasure so you can die because I'm going to kill you. People think they can put their boxing gloves on with the enemy without the full armor of God and survive. You will lose. As hundreds every day are losing the battle because they're not responding to the gospel. David said in Psalm 23 and 5, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. We need an infusion of the power of the Holy Spirit. We need a refilling and an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Churches denounce the Holy Spirit. We don't believe in that. Dead, dried up preaching. Dead, dried up pulpits. Dead, dried up church members. Going through the motions. A form of godliness, but denying the power of God thereof. My God, run from it. Come on. People being seduced. A 10 minute sermonette. Boring as could be. Like eating turnips. No matter what you do to turnips, they just don't taste good. That's right. <laughs> right there. Rutabagas. Whatever you do to a rutabaga, it doesn't taste good at all. You're going to put maple syrup on it, and it still tastes horrendous. Okra, keep it. I don't care. You can bathe it in maple syrup, okra. Don't give it to me. It's disgusting. I don't care if you fry it, kill it, dye it, poke it. Shoot an arrow through it and put a bullet in it. Don't give it to me. <laughs> Okra. Pray that God would give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness through song and praise. This is the thing that the devil steals from people immediately. Yes, sir. Come on. He takes their song. Yeah. He sits them on their duff. Yeah. Oh, I can't raise my hand. I'm paralyzed. <laughs> you eat pretty good. I see you bring the fork to your mouth. I see you. Hmm. I know. Hmm. I know. That works. This works. But to raise my hand to God that woke me up this morning, to raise my hand to God that gives me health, to raise my hand to God that I'm not in a wheelchair or in a hospital or in the ICU room. Come on. It says Psalm one forty six one. Praise you the Lord. Praise you the Lord. Oh my soul. It's not to pray about. It says in Psalm 146 and 10, The Lord shall reign forever, even the Lord God, O Zion, unto all generations. Praise ye the Lord. 
It says in Psalm 147 and 1, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is comely. The Bible says in Psalm 147 and 7, Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving, sing praise unto the harp, unto our God. Thank you, God, for my job. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my health. Thank you for the wallets in my pocket. Thank you for the money that I have. Thanksgiving. Oh, I got it, Pastor. Come on. I had a hard week. The psalm is really tired. It's really tired. You don't know what I've been through. You know what our pastor used to teach us? Even when you don't feel like it, just start doing it. If you start out even in the flesh, you'll end up in the spirit somewhere. Somebody will bring you along. Somebody will pick you up. Somebody will put you in their car. Someone will put you on that train seat next to me. Someone, praise God, will put their arm around you. Someone will take you to the altar and say, hey, man, let's praise God together. Mm. Psalm 147 and 7 says, Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Praise God. Psalm 150 and 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Wow. Praise God and praise him in the firmament of his power. Psalm 115, verse 2. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Psalm 150 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6, it says this. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the Lord, upon the cymbals. Praise Him on the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. Sit there like mummies. We can't. Let the devil keep beating you up. Let him keep beating you up. Are we proud of that? Are we proud not to ask for help? Are we proud of our pride? I have pride. I don't want people to think that I have a problem. You know, the church is for sick people. Jesus didn't come for the, for the healthy and the righteous. He came for us sick people. Are you kidding me? He came for the sick. He's the physician. He makes house calls. And he doesn't bring the black bag. He brings the black book. He is the book. He is the word. He is the truth. He is eternity. Yes, hallelujah. Pray that we may become trees of righteousness. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Oh God, I love this preaching. This preaching is spot on, God. And in his law do I meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God make us like trees. There's a way out. A merry heart, prayer, humility, singing, praising. Listen, if you want to let the devil keep your mouth shut, that's up to you. But I wonder what a person would do if they went to the 7-Eleven today, God forbid, and someone tried to swipe their wallet out of their back pocket. I, I think some people would just say, take it. You deserve it. 
I wonder what some people would do if, if someone tried to abduct their wife or their young daughter. Eh, take her. You can have her. Will we fight? Will we really fight? Or will we run? We're like the spirit of fear. What would we do? God is asking us a question today. The enemy is pickpocketing the church. Come on, preach. The enemy is pickpocketing our families. The enemy is picking off people one by one. I'm not trying to give them glory, but my friend, it's happening. Come on. Preaching truth. And people sit around playing games. Like trees. The commentary Gill says, like trees that are well planted, whose root is in Christ, whose sap is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and His grace, and whose fruit are good works, that they might appear to be good trees and of a good growth and stature and be laden with the fruits of righteousness and be truly righteous persons made so by the imputation of Christ's righteousness to them. The planting of the Lord, planted by Him in Christ and in His church and so never to be rooted out. What's God saying? Palm tree Christians, though the winds come, though despair comes, though anguish comes, and those howling winds bend that tree, the roots of the palm tree go deep into the ground to search water. God says, let us be like those trees, praise God, that are called palm trees. Let us be palm tree Christians. Come on. And not give in to despair. Pray that God give us beauty for ashes. Clark's commentary says a beautiful crown instead of ashes. In the time of mourning and sorrow, the Jews put on sackcloth or coarse or sordid raiment and spread dust and ashes on their heads. And on the contrary, splendid clothing and ointment poured on the head were the signs of joy. When I was growing up in an Italian family and someone passed away, everything was black. People wore black for decades. Listen, when someone passes, it's sorrowful. But I think if that person woke up from the grave, they would say, can you put on a pastel color, please? Can you put on a little, like, lavender or something red, something joyful, something cheerful? Because I'm on the other side, and I'm looking down, and I know there's no depression in heaven. But if I look at you long enough as a great cloud of witness, Lord have mercy. Man, get off those black clothes and that black dress and all that black garment. Black sweater, black blouse, black socks, black shoes, black whatever. And that's exactly the way the devil wants to keep us in darkness. He wants us to have beauty for ashes. And a garment of praise, not a garment of despondency. Come on. Closing. What are you saying? We have a job to do to hear the cry of the human heart. And for those that can't help themselves at that moment, we need to help them. The Bible says in Isaiah 61 and verse 4 in the King James Version, and they, that's you, shall build the old waste places. They shall raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the waste cities. 
the desolations of many generations. And in the message version it says this, they'll rebuild the old ruins, raise a new city out of the wreckage. They'll start over on the ruined cities and take the rubble left behind and make it new. I preached last Sunday about the things that happened while Jesus was being crucified. And one of the things that happened was an earthquake. And earthquakes produce rubble. And some of you have experienced earthquake this week in your life. An upsetting situation that you momentarily lost hope to think that is God even real? And will he come? But God is always looking for the diamond in the rubble. And you are the diamond. You are the soul. That even though the earthquake was allowed to come into your life, and there's rubble all around, God knows exactly where you are. Yes, he does. There's some people that are experiencing earthquakes and despair and desolation that don't know how to help themselves. We must be attuned to the cry of the human heart. Look for pattern changes in your children. Look for pattern changes in your spouse. When you look at family members, look at patterns that change. Because that's usually an indication of something that's not right. That's right, come on. There's usually something going on in that life that needs to be exposed, that needs to be gently taken care of. A person that needs to be loved, affirmed, confirmed, accepted, and validated through Christ, but through your love, through your friendship, and through your relationship with them. We can't afford to lose anybody. We can't afford it. We can't afford to go to a funeral parlor and talk in our low voices and say, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. We can't do that no more. We can't lose people to the hands of the devil. We must become active in our listening. And we must become active in our approach. And we should not be afraid. We might lose the friendship and the relationship. But we shouldn't be afraid to say, something's not right. Something's not right. And if you stay on that course without getting help, there will be a train wreck. What you sow is what you reap. Amen. What you sow is what you reap. What you plant in the ground in the spring will come up in the harvest of the summer. If we continually plant despair and anguish, eventually, if we don't deal with it, there will be a harvest and a consequence sometime down the road. Come on, preach. Don't let that happen. We must be attuned to each other. We must be sometimes, as my pastor used to say, painfully plain to help other people out of their rut so that we can become those that rebuild the old ruins and raise up a new city out of wreckage that we can start over even in the rubble and turn that rubble into something beautiful. Basically, in the days of Nehemiah, it was rubble. 
but they rebuilt the wall. They scurried through the rubble and they worked with the trowel in one hand and the song of praise in the other. The sword of the spirit. We must do the same, my friend. We must work with the trowel in one hand and the sword of the spirit, the word of God, the praise, the songs that God gives us that we can speak into the lives of other people and save a life. I used to tell people in the prison when they left, become a missionary of this church. And they say, how do we do that, Pastor? Go out and determine that you're going to save a life. Amen. One life. Go out and determine that one of your friends, you'll bring them for help. You'll bring them to the house of God. Bring them. Save one life. That's my challenge to each and every one of us. Let us save one life. God bless you, and thank you for listening. Mm.